Welcome back, my friends, to the Switch Power, where IT leaders share the inside with other leaders and others that want to lead. Hey, guys, how are we doing today? Carlos, I, I, you know what? I'm not even going to let the standard kind of patter start. That intro has just, like, are we not going to talk about that? Like, that's a that's a solidly impressive intro for three completely non-funded lunatics in, in various garages. Like... Like, talk about up-leveling our game. I love Fantastic. it. Fantastic. It's 2022. We have to up-level. It's awesome. It's awesome. You're at home, traveling. So, today I'm at home. Same. I'll but be I have traveling traveled. later in the week. <laughs> you're not going to know where you're going to be later in the week. Okay. I think I've already had 15 in... nights so far this year. I'll be in, I'll be in Beverly Hills uh, Saturday till Wednesday. Looking forward to that. Oh wow! A little Very travel. Good. A little travel. I'm already at eighty-six thousand miles for 2022. <laughs> that's not because I traveled that much. Eight, it's because like eighty-six thousand miles. Year. Well, they carried over for last year. Oh, right? oh, oh, right, right. Okay, I was gonna say, dude, <laughs> so, so you, have, you have two years, right, to get the same amount. So I did fifty-six last year, and then there's some bonuses and all that kind of stuff. So I'm currently at eighty-six. Which means I only have to do, you know, fourteen to get super elite. Looking forward to that. That's an interesting good detail. Year. So where where am I at? Eh. Oh. You're looking huh. real time. I I thought they had yeah I thought they had rollover as well, but they didn't roll over anything for me this year. I got to figure out what the, what's up with that. It's quite possible you don't get it to the end of January. I was actually surprised I got it a week. Oh. Ago. oh. Yeah. Yeah. That makes that makes sense because I had a. Because of my international first class international flight uh, to the Netherlands at the end of the year, I had a huge amount of miles. That's a good like, bump. Like, yeah. like I, I knocked it. I needed two thousand miles or something to to hit, you know, one uh, k. Yeah. And I got I don't know eleven thousand for that trip or something. Nice. Like it was insane. Um, wow. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, well. And then I forgot they they do rollover, so I may have to I may have to see how that goes. So let me ask you a question. In that trip. Did you find a bunch of people taking their phones so they can get their fake first-class <laughs> pictures or fake thing? I'm a millionaire or something like that, so then they can talk about how great they are. Didn't you know Howard was Insta famous? <laughs> the only Insta famous I've ever been is instantly famous, and it faded just as quickly. <laughs> so I, I, I was on a plane where I was where I was instantly famous. Um, I, I, The best travel hack in the entire world is buy a box of chocolate and give it to the flight crew when you get on board the plane. Absolutely unequivocally. I do it almost every flight. doesn't matter where I'm sitting. Every single time they go out of the, they will go way above and beyond to make sure that I'm happy. You'll get free drinks the entire flight, right? Especially if when they first come by, you kind of pawn it off. No, 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 no. I'm okay. The second there's turbulence, they come running down with a drink. Right. Oh, okay. Nice. So there was one where they went like apparently they'd they'd been having a bad day, right? Um, co- it was right in the midst of kind of COVID, a bunch of cancellations. I guess customers were really upset. The pilot came on to personally thank me. Wow, Mister Holton in seat seven B. We just wanted to say thank you very much for flying with us today, and we recognize your your special little whatever, whatever, whatever. And the lady sitting next to me. 
throughout the flight, every single member of the flight crew came up and said, Mr. Holton, I just want to say thank you. Mr. Holton, I just want to say thank you. Mr. Holton, I just want to say thank you. And she goes, she goes, like, who the hell are you? <laughs> right? Like, why don't I know you? And I'm like, no, 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 it's nothing. Don't, don't even worry about it. Right. And then the captain came on and she goes, no, no, really. Now I kind of <laughs> know who the hell are you? <laughs> Did you give her your autograph? Did you take a selfie? What'd you, what'd you <clears throat> no, I said, I said, uh, Mr. Holton is who I fly under. I'm really Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just an alias it's fine <laughs> nice. all right i'm looking forward to carlos transition here i transitioned a long time ago guys <laughs> transitioned no, no, already. ignored the transition you got to do it again it's fine i'm just gonna keep so, ignoring it so it that was it frustrating that people were coming to you and thinking that you were <laughs> uh fake or actually that there was some expertise right. in there. See, it was yeah. so all subtle, right. I missed it. it was so... so I didn't miss it I'm all. learning, uh, no, 2022. So, uh, <laughs> so I was having this conversation with Paul earlier today because I was listening to a podcast. And the podcast, I got extremely frustrated because this is a podcast about expertise. And, and ultimately, you expect a certain level of kind of quality in doing that. And what I find in a lot of a lot of podcasts is I get turned off because they claim expertise and are and spend 30 minutes digging into a topic and they have no idea what they're talking about. And you could tell within the first 30 seconds. And like, I'm fine. You want to spend 30 seconds on something and go, I think this is what's going on, but I don't really know. I'm okay with it. But when you start digging in, it's problematic. And in this particular case, it's the 5G airline issue. Hmm. For those who haven't been following... The 5G rollout was placed on halt while the government and airlines and telcos try to figure out how to work together. Effectively, the telcos have spent $20 billion acquiring bandwidth that they can use, airspace that they can use for 5G. And the airlines came out and said, if you turn this on, it's likely to interfere with our equipment and could cause significant problems with uh, airplanes specifically in takeoff and landing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now it, it really has to do with the, the weather functionality and the, and the uh, radar and is problematic, not because there's overlap because there's no overlap in the frequencies whatsoever. The frequencies used by one are not used by the other. Matter of fact, there is a buffer in between that was added specifically to avoid these issues. Sure. E even within the kind of reflection state that occurs within radio transmissions, it's outside of that. That's not actually the problem. And it's why it's taken kind of this long to get to it because it, wasn't, it, it really wasn't obvious. It wasn't that the airlines kind of sat on their heels for five years and went, hey, during the comment period, we didn't comment because you already have the buffer specifically for that. So why would we even consider that? Well, somebody finally went, hey, this has been empty frequency for so long. We didn't really even consider it. But back in the 70s, when we came up with the filters that we put on the antennas to filter out the other frequencies, the filter's a little too low. And so 5G is going to actually come in and won't be filtered out necessarily. Mm. Because the filter that they used is entire it is not it's not tightly purpose built 
And it's a very typical kind of airline thing, right? They design for maximum reliability. Well, if nobody else is using any of that frequency, right. then, I, then building a filter that sits a little further out guarantees I get the most signal and I'm not filtering some of my own signal out that I may find useful, right? I can avoid that potential issue. I don't have to catch it in the air where it could be potentially deadly. In order to fix it, it's a relatively simple thing. You think, you know, that, that, that we've learned a whole lot more. We've got computer modeling. We've got, you know, virtual twinning. We've got all these things. So we can absolutely design new filters. All of that is 100% true. But it's also the airlines. And the testing necessary to do that, to just replace the filters, is insane. And so they just didn't do it. Is filter said, on instead, plane or filter on tower? Where's the filter going? No, no. Fil the filter's on the plane. On the plane. Okay. It's on the receiving antenna on the airplane. Okay. Right? So, it so that's hugely it. burdensome, but they they might it's, not have the filters to do so. It's it's not hugely technically burdensome. Even building the filters isn't that big a deal. It's the mentality of the airlines. Mm -hmm. They just don't change things. Why? Because when they change things, you get a seven thirty seven max issue. Right. Ooh, right. Which is not an They're, unreasonable perspective to have, I guess. Correct. Correct. Yeah. They've had five years, right? And I think had someone discovered it five years ago and said, hey, the problem isn't with the frequency, the problem is with the filters, and this is still going to cause a problem for us, I think they probably could have done something about it, right? Like Boeing would have had time to do something about it. I, from what I understand, they just weren't paying attention to it in through that lens in that way, which is why this has become an issue. That's it. That's the totality of it. It's not actually this big, huge thing, right? Um, it's not, it, planes aren't necessarily going to crash, but they do have the potential to receive noise on an incredibly critical piece of equipment and it's just not worth it. So if we have to suffer through a little crappier cell service at the airport, I think we'll probably be okay. So that's the example, but the premise is that you knew more about this problem than the talking heads. Yeah, because they didn't, they didn't know any of that. They didn't know any of that at all. For them, it was the airlines just ignored it for five years. It's not really a problem. They don't face this problem in Europe. It's just an American problem, and they just stopped it in the U.S., hmm. right? And they spent 30 minutes kind of going through what I just did in two and a half to not actually understand what the issue is, nor why it's a somewhat reasonable issue. Because what I explained isn't really the end of the world, right? It's not a huge nightmare. It's not some big thing that, that you know, we all need to... Uh, we all need to get up in arms about. Um, and, and so, and this was a tech podcast. This isn't like, I'm not listening to people play Dungeons and Dragons or discuss movies or any of those things. Right. I'm, I don't expect them to be experts. I'm fine. They can kind of do whatever they want. Movies a little bit. Nor, but, nor but, was it a subjective opinion. Like you could have, you could listen to a, pol a political podcast and you know that it's a point of view they're having. They're not, correct. their goal isn't to be accurate. Their goal is to take a, a you know a, a perspective a point of view of one of the sides right so yeah, right so do you think do you think that it's the same in any topic that the person can just try to just ram is it like a rambling they were rambling or they were actually trying to look somewhat intelligent uh about the topic oh no 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 They dug way in on the wrong direction. Dug way in. And, and, and I just turned it off. And it occurred to me at that point, that's actually the, my, my frustration with a lot of podcasts, right? Um, if I don't, if I want to be entertained, I'll watch television, I'll watch a movie, I'll do an audio book, I'll read a book, 
you know what I mean? But if I'm doing a podcast, I do podcasts, but not to be specifically entertained, but to be educated. Hmm. Education first, entertainment second. And, and it occurred to me that my problem with a lot of podcasts and a lot of content in general, um, webinars are a great example. Um, you know, roundtables are a great example. Um, you've got a few minutes to really kind of hook me and go, there's something here for you to learn. And, and it has to be more than just a perspective. Otherwise, I'm click off onto the next thing. There's too much good content. I don't want to waste it with poor content. So who's responsible? Is this, is this moderation? Yeah. Is this picking the right guests? Is this pre-qualifying the guests and pre-interviewing and even providing them with a, here's a, you know, a double click that I'd wish you to have? What's the... Yeah, I think so. I think it's also like, like if it's not, this isn't the key topic that you're there to discuss, which this wasn't a key topic for them to discuss. It was just, it was just kind of their, like we get off on tangents. It was kind of their tangent. Um, Then be smart enough to say, this is a really involved topic. Like you probably should know. I don't think we all know enough about it to really go in depth, like qualify it. You know I mean? How much research have you done? Like where do you get your information? Pretend that you're a journalist and it's an interview if you're, if you're the moderator, if you're firmly on the podcast, then make it clear that your podcast, this podcast is opinion, right? We don't really do a lot of scientific discussion on this podcast. It should be obvious that we are pundits effectively, <laughs> right? This is closer to politics than anything else, but that's kind of the area that we are speaking about generally, you know, uh, week to week, right? Leadership is very much um, perspective based, right? Right. So I expect people to kind of look at this and go, okay, well, that's that's three perspectives within the toolbox of many perspectives. I don't I I really hope none of our viewers are like, you know, Paul Lewis is the absolute authority on leadership. I'm just going to emulate what he does. <laughs> right. Written the book we just don't, we, even if that was possible, we don't produce enough content. Right. Right. Um, but when you're producing educational content right? Content that people are supposed to take and, and actually follow, you really do need to have, you know, some level of expertise or at least excuse your level and say, hey, you know, just uh, just keep in mind, we're not experts in this particular thing. This is our, ex- our personal experience. I'm okay with that, but they didn't do so, either of those things. So here's the challenge. So I have recently moderated a series of conversations. Um, it's fair to say that I understood the topic enough. I don't necessarily think I'm an expert in the topic, but I certainly have, you know, the requisite experience to support it. Um, And you can bring on presenters to which you think will have an interesting point of view or perspective. But is it, was it always my responsibility to ensure that the listener got an accurate result? Or was it my responsibility or did I feel like it was my responsibility for them to be at the very least entertained or to hear more than one point of view on purpose? So I kind of think of myself as a moderator far more like the journalist than I am the expert where I'm asking questions, hoping to get some interesting, you know, bells and whistles, maybe some sound bites that I could use to to, to create promotional material, but less <laughs> so about ensuring that I fully qualified the answer or that um, I've no. hit on every angle or every corner of the box or, you know, I filled the box or filled the, 
the cylinder worth of water. I, I, I just don't think that's my responsibility. Well, and, and, and maybe that's not your responsibility, right? But I think it really depends on the content and how, how, how off the rails you're going to go. Hmm. You're like right? a reporter. Um, you're technically a reporter. Yeah, the journalist, well, the reporter. The... Yeah, but, but a journalist also, journalists, if a journalist brings on an expert, then they have to qualify them as an expert. Hmm. Well, right? depend where you go. Because no, no, no. Some you are you are responsible to check their credentials and make sure that they're an expert. If, well, if, if they if that... they stayed at a Holiday Inn Express the prior night, they are not a brain surgeon. Do not bring them on to discuss brain surgery. <laughs> <laughs> some people at that level that so if you may have someone that may know a little bit about the topic, and you bring them in, so I think that. Your role is to try to feel the the ball to see how it's going, and then probably redirecting if you see that he's going towards the opposite way. The danger zone. The, yeah, know. yeah, yeah. I, and I and I would agree with that, right? But that's that's the point of moderation. Yeah. Right. It's not let's I'm going to toss you the ball, which is just a question. Go for as long as you want, right? Good moderation is that steering. Good moderation really is you know, ensuring that the listener is not only entertained, but informed and informed in a way that you'd like them to be informed. It's, it's infinitely easier when you have four diverse opinions. Yes. Right. You don't actually have all of them. All of them don't need to be perfect, informed to the same level, but they do need to be an informed opinion about kind of the same topic. So you do get that perspective, especially in things that are subjective rather than objective. Right. If it's subjective, I don't mind hearing four opinions as long as, you know, two of them are, are opinions that sound like expertise. The, the least effective podcasts and or webinars and or roundtables have been when I've contributed or moderated uh, with people that I don't know, with people that I've never presented with before, because I don't really know how they're going to answer questions. I don't know how much they're going to ramble. I don't really understand their expertise. But podcasts, webinars, roundtables, to which I know everyone, uh, it's very easy to moderate because I have a general appreciation of what I think the answer is going to be around. And I can, in many ways, dance the dance, right? I know that I can start with person A who's going to give me a highly critical opinion and then go directly to person B who I know is going to support or defend that opinion and go to person C who's going to be have an unbiased perspective. And we can we can play that game from question to question to question. And it feels like, you know, an act of moderation when I just know them well enough to appreciate how they're going to answer the questions. So should no, that I, be... I, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're so... very good at that. Um, even to the point of you have soft hands in redirecting your panelists. <laughs> right. right. Even those that might you know, ramble a little bit and, and might uh, tell long stories. Right. Sometimes I have to summarize a ramble just to make sure that we've <laughs> rounded the corner, we'll call it. Not so, that so I have a personal experience with Paul doing that, but. <laughs> so is that the role then that the person that should be leading or moderating a podcast or a webinar should take the time to at least look at the previous uh, uh, probably uh, episodes or any other stuff that that person have done so they understand 
their style or is more of a here is a list of what we're going to do. I need you to stay within these boundaries. Which one do you think that will help more, let's say, uh, a leader or, or someone that is leading an event like that? Because I've seen some webinars that sometimes they go too technical. They're feature, 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 feature. And then the last two minutes, it's like, hey, we have something for you. And then they, you, you lose the connection. They, they uh, did not educate you. So I think you have two different questions there, actually. The first question, I would say it's the former. Look at content that the, the panelist has produced and see does that content fit what, you, what your audience is expecting, right? Because remember, the, the goal of the moderator is really to be the audience and ensure that, that whatever the panelists are doing delivers to the goal of the audience, right? And your second one actually speaks more to the fact that we don't seem to place enough value on the act of, of professional presentation, mm. right? That skill, we've all worked very, very, very hard to develop that skill over a course of decades, Right? There's, we, all of us have a practice that we use. All of us have developed a method. Mm -hmm. For each one of us, we've spent probably as much effort figuring out what that looks like for us, how we do that, and how we prepare and what that looks like, as we have doing absolutely anything else except maybe, and I only mean maybe, how we brush our teeth. <laughs> right? Possibly. So I think that's kind of... <laughs> well, it's always it's always circles and it's always lighter than you actually want to brush. Um, so so I do think most of the webinar problems that I see are <clears throat> not aligning the speaker to the audience. Hmm. Right. And and I've been in situations where both have happened. Right. Matter of fact, um, Paul was asked to speak at a um, about some in-depth storage at, at a prior employer. Not necessarily that. the place that I would use Paul. And he was what? like, this is, what are you doing? This is not content that I would deliver. Why, why would you do that? Right. And then uh, <clears throat> I saw people put up on stage to have a conversation about some strategic component that had never worked or been even in the same room as strategy. Hmm. Right. And so, so this is supposed to be an executive level conversation and it's all about bits and bytes and speeds and feeds. And people literally were walking out. Right now, you're gonna you're gonna gain gain and lose some, you know, audience members as you go through, but but not to the point where you betray the the thesis that you posted in the little blurb, right? I, I'm I'm as prescript as prescriptive as Howard suggests. So my process is very obvious. It is start with the theme. What do we want to talk about? What kind of objective do we want to deliver on? My next step physically pick the presenters that I know that have an interesting perspective and topic, even if they're not experts, it's, it's meaningless to me. I'm looking for interesting perspective. And then all of my prep time is in questions and transition. I'm not prepping on the details. I'm prepping on what questions do I think will invoke the type of answers that will be the most compelling or questions that might invoke disagreement, which is also just as interesting. Uh, and that's where I spend my time. I do not spend my time prepping the panelists themselves because I want them to come to the table with their own stories, their own, you know, means, their own style, their own whatever. It doesn't matter because I think that mix is more interesting 
than having somebody prepare a set of answers to which they're just delivering in a verbal way. So let me ask but, you a question. I use a method that I one time heard that Lucas learned when he was filming Star Wars, that, he, that is a hero's journey, that is trying to build that journey for how do you bring or communicate something. And while both of you were talking, we have done a lot of things together, but I, I don't think that I have ever asked you this, is how do you prepare yourself or what can our audience do that have worked for you to get ready for that? How do you learn? Like you just said, you think about the presenter, you ask questions, but what is your process? Because I think that even though we don't create a lot of content, our idea is that we can share what we have learned. Like, what is your process? Either you for that. So Paul kind of described his process and the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm not the, like I've been a moderator a few times and it's gone okay, but mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm not as good as Paul. Um, because my process is if you show want up. me to be a panelist, I show up. <laughs> If you want me to be a moderator, I'm probably going to know like bachelor level information about the topic. Right. Like I will have, I, I will do far more research as a moderator or an interviewer than I otherwise would have, right? As a panelist. Because as a panelist, you're asking me to show up because of my expertise. Right. As a, as a, as a moderator or the interviewer, right? As the journalist, you're not, that's not actually the ask. And so how do I, as, as you're going through telling your story, how do I know what are the right questions to ask? How do I know what the most interesting questions are to ask? How do I know where you've got, like I get wrapped up in my stories, it's part of the problem. Yeah. Um, how do I know when they've been wrapped up in their story and redirect them so they can kind of kind of come back around to a, the bigger point that may, maybe they glossed over, right? Maybe there's five aspects of the topic and they've only touched on three. Right. So, so that's, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of method. the irony. So the reason why I don't do that level of read is to ensure that I'm asking interesting, insightful questions. When you do that kind of research that you're doing, you miss, you miss the superficial stuff and you go directly to the nuance. And if you don't have the 101 understanding, the new, the 201, the 301, the 401 nuance questions you're going to ask, will blow away any of the actual audience members because they don't have the base, right? They don't have the, they don't have the general information in order to appreciate the nuance. With, without a doubt, without a doubt. But it makes for an incredibly interesting, more conversation style. Right. Right. They become very, very interesting. But, but yeah, the, both methods have pluses and minuses. Right. For sure. So, so if I then ask you guys, Let's bring this into where we are experts, that is inside companies. Because when we talk about doing an interview prior for outside, sometimes we think a little bit different. What about when you're inside getting ready for a meeting, doing an update as a leader, you have to communicate the new vision for the company or for your department or what do you do? Do you fake it? Do you get frustrated or you just show that you're an expert or, or what? So, so three things, I'll give you three things and then, and they'll be quick. 
First, be confident. There's going to be mistakes. Just be confident, right? I was presenting last week and had asked my folks to fill out some data that they only filled out part of. They never completed filling out the sheet. When I put it in PowerPoint, I didn't realize they never completed the update. They weren't blank. If they were blank, I probably would have noticed. They weren't blank. They just, they did like a copy and paste and then never filled out the rest of the sheet. So I go to present it and I'm like, oh yeah, there's no way, there's no way that project costs $500. I apologize. I didn't proofread this well enough. We'll get it fixed. And I moved on. And you know what? You know what people cared about? It wasn't that. Nobody cared. Why? Because I was confident that it, that didn't matter. That the data that we were giving, that wasn't the important part. Right? The second is, keep in mind, no one's there to see the PowerPoint. Right? The PowerPoint is not, the presentation is not the value you, you are. Know that when you go in the room. <laughs> and then three, and this is more of a trick than, than anything else, wear something that makes you feel confident and important. I have a bright blue jacket that I often wear. You all mm -hmm. saw my suit, right? It had a bunch of different colors in it. It wasn't seersucker level, level, but I do not like kind of your standard gray suit or your standard blue, your standard kind of navy blue suit. Wear something that makes you feel like you should be on stage, that you're comfortable in. Mm -hmm. Don't go get something wild if you won't wear wild, right? Paul, your suit is fantastic. It's the same suit every time, and it does that for you. It's your uniform, Absolutely. Right? and it works like armor. So, so those are the three things that I would recommend. Uh, I agree with all three of those things. Uh, the last one I'd add is I'm generally looking for an emotional experience. I'm looking for you to be happy, excited, enthusiastic, which is how I project happy, exciting enthusiasm, because I want you to, to bring that in. I want you to receive it because the outcome of this conversation is you saying, yes, I want to do this. Agreed. My friends, it has been awesome to have you with us today. Understand that you have a level of expertise. Use it. But if that's not your area, bring someone if you want to talk about that topic, so they are the expert, don't just fake it. Don't just take the time to just ramble around it because like we heard, you're going to cut that connection that you have with your audience. And at the end of the day, what we're here is to connect, to grow, and to be better together. My friends, we'll see you next week here on The Sweet Spot.